You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. I can still um, remember the moment. Um, Lauren and I talked about her, planned for her, prepared a room for her, yet nothing prepared me for the first day I saw this new person. Faith had become sight and I was unprepared. Um, A tiny human being, my daughter Hannah, was placed in my arms for the first time. That is when the moment hit me. It came with the realization this little life was totally dependent on my wife Lori and I for everything. Um, This beautiful baby girl made in the likeness and image of God had been entrusted to us. God had placed Hannah in our inexperienced hands. I wish I could say this moment of inadequacy hit me only this one time with the birth of our oldest daughter, but this same feeling hit me twice more when our daughter Bethany came 17 months later and our daughter Maddie, our youngest daughter Maddie came about three years after that. Um, I'm still awed that he allowed us to create life and raise another human being, that God had gifted us with an awe-inspiring privilege and responsibility, um, that our beautiful baby daughter at that time and others to come, yours if you are a parent in this room, are image bearers of God, that they're made to glorify God um, and enjoy an eternity with Jesus Christ. That's what you have created. Not just a baby, but a person who will live forever in either heaven or in a place in hell. I don't think I was wondering that at that moment, but as I think back on it now, that's exactly what took place. I remember asking myself these questions. If I didn't ask them then, or if I didn't ask them directly this way, I know I've asked them like this since. Why did God give us this privilege of creating new life? Why does God give us little ones who are so utterly helpless? I believe the answer is this, or I've come to believe the answer is this. God's intent in giving us the privilege of creating new lives is to raise them to know him and to love him. Um, Laura and I were still very young in our Christian faith. We'd only been saved. Um, Lori, well, Lily, really a little over a year. Um, So we weren't even sure, to be honest with you, how to begin the process of raising up a daughter according to God's word. We had no clue. We, uh, neither one of us raised in Christian homes. And and I recognized right away that the Bible we hold in our hands, the Bible I was just beginning to, I'm not even sure if I'd read through the Bible yet. Um, The Bible I held in my hands, I realized pretty quickly that it's not arranged by topic. Um, um, But it is arranged the way it is by divine intervention. Um, that it's not random. The Bible is essentially what I did learn and what I've learned even more over the years. It's a grand redemptive story. It's a story that points us to our Savior and King Jesus Christ. Um, This means we can't approach our Bible topically and get the best it has to offer us um, by if we just look for just things that said parenting or dad or mom or 
mother, father, I wouldn't have said dad, mom, mother, father, or whatever it said. I, I was going to miss the majority of what the Bible had for me if I began to just look up passages that spoke of those things. But here's what I did learn, and what I've learned even more over the years, that every passage in scripture tells us something about God, something about ourselves, something about the disaster of sin, something about life in this fallen world, something about what God has called us to, what he's God called me to, something about the operation of grace to the degree that every passage in scripture tells us about every area of our life. There's nothing he doesn't cover. I love that about the word of God. So when Pastor Steve asked me uh, to preach on this first day of the new year on this family worship day and knowing there'd be multiple generations in this room, I immediately began to think about this grand redemptive story that God is weaving together that he allows us to be a part of, which I, in, in, I'm, I'm amazed that he would let us be a part of his story. And then knowing um, what kind of day it would be with old and middle and young, I thought, what a, what a better way to start off the new year than by looking to God's word and seeing how God's plan from Genesis to Revelation has always been the Great Commission. It's always been the same plan. It's not changed. Whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, his plan's always been the same for the generations to come. So before we look at his word and some different various texts today, I'm going to invite us to pray and just ask God to show us from his word what his plan has been in reaching this generation and beyond um, going forward. Father, thank you for your word. It's life. It's found in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that we can read it and know it and understand it. It can save us. It can sanctify us. And it points us ultimately to when the next time you do come, whoo, what a, what a story that will be. Thank you, Jesus, for all you have done and what you're going to do. Speak through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to say up front, um, through this family, though this family worship message, I will just tell you up front, is geared big time. I'll, I'm just up front, disclaimer. It's geared big time toward parents who have little guys, teenagers. But I believe this message is for everyone. And why do I say that? Because I think whether you have children living in your home or not, you know those who do. Um, you're part of this church, which means you can be praying for those in our church who do have kids. You can be praying for what takes place over in the kids' center on a weekly basis. You have perhaps nieces and nephews, whatever it looks like, married, single, waiting for children, whatever that looks like. I believe this message is for the church because it's been the message from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And so I hope that we will stay faithful as a church, which is made up of families, to stay faithful to the teaching of the word of God when it comes to raising up a new generation to know him and to love him. So as we look ahead to a new year, I want to remind you of this this morning, that no matter what happened in the year 2022 and what lies ahead in 2023, we can have confidence in knowing that God has us here for a purpose. I love how the Apostle Paul says this in Acts 17. This is not our text, but I love how he says this in Acts 17 when he says, from one man, speaking of Adam, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this 
so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So just know this today. You are here at this moment by God. That is awesome. You're not here by accident. It's not random. He knows your address. He knows everything about where you live and where you dwell and where you're going to go. That, so up front, that gives us confidence knowing that I have purpose because God has purpose for us. Knowing this truth that God knows where I live and has determined our appointed times. No matter what triumphs or failures you experienced in the year 2022, no matter what triumphs or failures you may experience in the year 2023, here's what I do know. He's been there in the past. He'll be there in the future. He'll be there in the now. And this redemptive theme, this redemptive theme of raising up children to know God and to love God is given to us from the very beginning. Going back to Genesis chapter one, where God in his word says, God bless them, who? Adam and Eve. And God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Before the fall of man, before, before sin came into this world, God's command was from the very beginning, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What does that mean? Make followers of me. Tell them about my greatness. Tell them of my glory. Why? Because they one day will have their children and they will have their children. But what do we know happened? Sin comes into the world two chapters later in Genesis chapter three. The sin becomes so bad that by Genesis, by later in Genesis six, God says, I want to destroy what I've created. And he brings the flood. But he finds one righteous man, Noah, his wife, and there's three sons and their three wives. And so here we come to Genesis chapter nine now. And the same command that he gave Adam and Eve is now found in Genesis chapter nine, the Noahic covenant, where he says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You'd have thought at that moment that God was thinking maybe, hey, that first plan didn't work real well, but his plan was still the same. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The generation that came before you didn't do so good a job. You now know when your family have a chance to do over, to do what I commanded them to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Well, then we get a little bit further. We get to Israel. They've come out of bondage of slavery from Egypt. They've been in captivity. God has rescued them, delivered them, and they're now in the, we're now in the book of Deuteronomy. And they're about to go into the promised land. Moses, who will not see the promised land, but yet God speaks through Moses to instruct the nation of Israel of what, when they get to the promised land, what it should look like. And here's one of the most famous passages in all the scripture, the Shema. Every Israelite, every Jewish person would have memorized this by heart. Would have been one of the first things they learned as a Jewish follower, as a follower of the Jewish faith. Where, where God says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Stop right there. That thought alone is radical. They were surrounded by nations that believed in the plurality of gods, where they worship multiple gods. And God is saying, you are going to be set apart. You are going to be different. How? You're going to worship me and me alone. There is no other gods. They are all false gods. I am the only God. And because you know this God, here's what you're to do. You're to repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What a great promise that is. So Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful, multiply. Genesis chapter 9, be fruitful, multiply, subdue it, tell your children. Then we come to Deuteronomy 6, tell your kids about who I am. We go on further, we get to the Psalms in Psalm 78. And if you read all of Psalm 78, it's basically the history lesson of the nation of Israel. Some of it not so pretty, quite frankly. Quite frankly, it's a picture of us sometimes. The church history is not always pretty either. 
But here's what, here's what the psalmist reminds those believers, those fellow Jews in the Old Testament. He says this, the psalmist in Psalm 78, 4 and 6 and 7. We will not hide them from their children. Hide what? Hide the truths of who I am, what I've done, what I've done for you both then and now. But we will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. Why? So that a future generation, I love this, children yet to be born. Church, every Sunday we gather things we're learning and listening, they are for even kids yet to be born yet. Decisions we make today affect future generations. It's incredible. Might know, they will rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Why do we do what we do every Sunday? So that a future generation will then tell their children, who will then tell their children, who will tell their children. Until the Lord comes, that is the plan. That is the plan. And then we get to Psalm 102, where the psalmist writes, this will be written, again, what's written? The word of God. For a later generation and a people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. Then we get to the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, where God appears to be silent for the next 400 years where he's never silent. He's never not at work. But we read in Malachi, the prophet proclaims this, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Speaking of going forward when Jesus would come, John the Baptist, the messenger would come and the hearts of fathers would be turned to their kids and the hearts of kids to their fathers. That'll be our prayer as a church, that the hearts of our kids will be turned toward their parents and the hearts of parents be turned toward their kids. And then we get, so you might be thinking at that point, is this only for the Jewish people? Is this only for those in the Old Testament? Well, no, because we get the New Testament and Paul is speaking to a group of both Jewish and Gentile believers at the church at Ephesus. And he says this, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The same command given in Genesis 1, Genesis 9, Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78, Malachi 4 is now coming forward in Ephesians 6 to the church of Jesus Christ today. Train them up to know me and to love me. So I believe it is obvious both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God's desire has always been to raise up a new generation, know him and to love him. And passage that's not usually referred to when it comes to parenting, when it comes to this command of teaching a future generation, is hardly ever the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We usually go to Deuteronomy 6 or Ephesians, Ephesians 6, which are great. They're awesome passages of scripture. But I believe the greatest passage, not just for all believers in Jesus Christ, but especially for parents, is found in Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascended back into heaven the great commission. And so I want to ask you, I want you to think about this question and we'll come back to it later. What is the primary mission that God gives parents in the scriptures? I believe, by the way, it could be the question of all of us, whether you're a parent or not. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is popular known as the great commission because it applies mostly to the evangelism of our community and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's why it's a foundation of our church's mission statement, leading generations to make disciples of Jesus Christ everywhere. But I believe it captures with clarity what God has called us to as a church, in the home, and in the rest of the world. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to Matthew. It's a very, very familiar passage. Um, with us going through Matthew, we might get this to in a couple of years. So I'm going to give you a little head start on it right now. Okay. Okay. So 
Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Again, Jesus is about to be ascend back into heaven and he gives these final instructions to his disciples. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission is a call for all followers to take the gospel to our, to our city, our neighborhoods, and the world. But I believe in the Great Commission, there's also a call to make disciples in our own families. I think it starts there. Parenting is a commission to do all we can to raise our children to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you're here in this room today and you say, Pastor Todd, I have older kids, man, that, 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 that's gone now. And maybe they're not walking with the Lord. I would say this, keep pressing on and keep praying for your kids to come and know Jesus Christ as their savior. Don't ever give up on, the, on, the, on, on that. I cannot think of any directive from the mouth of Jesus that is more appropriate call to every Christian parent. I love how Paul Tripp writes it um, um, in his book, Parenting. He says, your job is to do everything within your power as an instrument in the hands of the redeemer who has employed you to woo encourage, call, and train your children to willingly and joyfully live as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that, to woo, to encourage. I, I've said this up here before, but I will tell you, if you know anything about me at all, you know that I, I'm passionate about my sports teams. Like, kind of an idiot sometimes. Like, I'm, like, like, like but here, here's, here's, here, here, here was, a, uh, my girls will tell you this day, they knew who to root for in the Slagle household. They knew. They knew there was not a chance that one dollar of their college life would go to KU. They knew that. They knew that. I don't care who I serve with up here. This is my time up here now. Okay, so, okay. They knew that would never happen. They knew not a penny would go to Missouri Western since I'm a Northwest Missouri State grad. They knew, they knew we would bypass I-29. We would go 229 around that campus sometimes. Um, I, I, I share that, not, I share that because I was wooing them to love my teams. I was encouraging them to love my teams. It would have crushed me if they would have <laughs> went the other direction. Praise God they did not. Okay, okay. Well, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Here's, 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 here's the deal. As much as I wooed them on that, this wooing is way more important. Amen. Way more. Way more. And I knew even by doing that, there was no guarantee. I believe this wooing, this role we have, this great commission is more important than how they do in school. How positive they contribute to the reputation of our, of our family how well they set themselves up for a future career, how well they do in sports and the arts or how well they are liked by their adults and peers. All these things are good, but I believe God's a mission for us. My mission back then when Hannah was born and Bethany was born and Maddie was born, if you're here today, I don't care what age your kids are, it's not, it wasn't preparing them for graduation day, it was preparing them for the judgment day. The core mission of parents, I believe this guy, is to raise up children according to the Great Commission who approach everything in their lives as the disciples of Jesus. What better discipleship unit, when I'm speaking of the Great Commission, 
what a, what a, what, I can't think of a better place when it says go and make disciples. The best place God began from the very beginning was the family, the home. Why? They got to see it modeled, hopefully, even in all its failings, taught, shepherded, to shepherd over a little one. And now I get to see my girls and son-in-laws do the very same thing. It's messy sometimes as a parent. It's frustrating, yet rewarding and ultimately glorious work. As I thought about that in the Great Commission, I thought in going back to what Jesus commands. So, how, so what is the Great Commission? How does that look like in the home? It, for, Jesus tells us what it looks like. He says, go and make disciples. This going is why the church exists. If we want to send out future missionaries, we must start with discipling our own children and evangelizing them. Starts right there where they're seeing, where Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, I heard him make this statement years ago, home is where life makes up its mind. That's where they really see it lived out in, in its good days and its bad days. Jesus repeats his own words from Genesis in this, in, this, in this great commission when he says, go and make disciples. It's the same wording as be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's the same wording. A disciple church means a learner, a person who wanted to learn from and take on the pattern of their rabbi. Who's our rabbi? Jesus. He's the rabbi. So when they're in your home, hopefully they want to take on the traits of you. The word Christians only used three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is used 269 times. It's a learner. It's a lifelong thing. It's not a, just a one-time transaction of coming to faith in Christ. Church, the Great Commission is much greater and broader, please hear me on this, than reaching our family for Christ, but home is where we were first called to evangelize the next generation. Yes, it takes place outside our home, and praise God, and it should, but it has to take place in the home. If not, this church at Antioch will not exist years from now. Making disciples is the job of every follower of Jesus, he says. This is your purpose in your home, in your job, in your neighborhood. I believe we are striving for a lost soul to make a permanent change of personal allegiance to Jesus. I didn't know this at the beginning, but job number one for Lori and I was to, by God's grace, change the allegiance of our daughters from this world to Jesus knowing that it had to be by his grace, nothing magical we did. No words we could do. Making disciples at home, church, hear this as we begin a new year, is not one more thing to add to your list of goals. It is, should be one of your top goals on your to-do list in 2023. It should be a goal every year. When you do your list of goals every year, it should be, well, okay, we had those five last year. Let's get five new. There's some, this one should be a goal every single year. Now that I'm a grandparent, one of our goals with Laura and I is, yes, our girls have their own families now with son-in-laws and grandchildren, is how can we come alongside them and help them reach their goal? The goal that Jesus commanded in the Great Commission. And then he goes on to say, not just go and make disciples, but what does that look like? He says, then to go and baptize them. Here's the thing, we, 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 I think in the church right now, in the church sometimes we, we miss this. When you read the New Testament, you never see conversion and baptism separate. They're always joined. Baptism, the public identification of saying yes to Jesus Christ. Baptism does not save you, but it is an outward, it was an, it's an outward way of saying, I belong to Jesus. 
One of our goals that Pastor Steve shared with us last year over the next seven years is that by God's grace, we will see 500 souls baptized. That's a lofty goal, church. That means we've got to have dads and moms in their home discipling their children and by God's grace seeing converts so we can stir more waters up here. And not just for the purpose of doing that, not to reach a goal, but we want to see future followers of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you parents, when you see, if your child's made a profession of faith, and I always tell parents, take your time with that. Sometimes they can make a decision, they still don't understand what's going on, and I always tell parents, there's no certain age, but I would, I would encourage you, don't dismiss that. Disciple them. Go to the baptism class when they have them. Take them with you, and then use that material they give you, and use that to disciple them. Teach them, make sure they understand what baptism is. Do they truly know Jesus? And then, what a joy to see a dad baptize a child. So not only it says go and make disciples, Jesus says, then to baptize them, but then he says, this leads to the second part, as a parent, we are called to teach our children to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us. He says, teach them to obey. Obey what? The word of God. The word of God. Just as foundational it is to call for our kids to be converted, it's foundational for us to teach them following the word of God. I find it fascinating. What method did Jesus use to teach his disciples? He hung out with them for three years. He lived with them. He taught them. He trained them. He tested them. He quizzed them. He let them ask questions. Let's be honest, sometimes dumb questions. He let them fail. He, he, but, he, but never one time did he say, man, you're done. You're, you're never going to get this. He was patient with them. He let them ask any question they wanted. We only have a snapshot of what, what they talked about. Does that, not, does that not sound like the job of a parent? That they get to live with us? Not just for three years by God's grace. I, I, you've heard me share this before probably. Some of you have been here in Antioch long enough. But when I first came on staff um, uh, 23 years ago, um, uh, Irish Robertson, our former Awana commander, there was a parent night in our Awana TNT girls, which is our third through fifth grade girls. I think then it would have been third through sixth grade. We didn't have middle school at six. They were still in our kids' ministry at that point. And they would have a parent night. It was up, it's room 209 now. I don't know how we fit all the girls. We had girls and parents. I guarantee you, we were breaking fire code. I can tell you that right now. We weren't even concerned about fire code. I'm sure of that. We were packed in there. And Iris asked me to come and speak. Mr. Robertson came to ask me to come and speak on a parent night. And I remember I'm standing in front of the parents. I had a, my message all out. And all of a sudden, I look out and I see Hannah's face. And she's nine. And it hit me in that moment. I'm halfway done. She's going to be out of your home, Todd. More than likely in nine years. Not necessarily, but that's the goal, what, whatever that looked like. And it just hit me all of a sudden. I mean, I'm telling you, I almost like, I, I, I literally started crying like that moment. Like I, I, it was just, it gripped me. And I realized that I only have this amount of time. I've already had nine. I've got nine more. Now my oldest grandson just turned nine. And as we celebrated his birthday this month, I look at him now and I realize his mom and dad are in the same place that I was as Hannah and her husband, Andrew, or their daughter, Henley's going to turn nine in April. They're going to be at the same place I was in that moment here very shortly. 
And as I thought about the Great Commission, it's not enough to tell your children what to do and what not to do. It's a deeper goal than that. It's to teach them how to think about everything in a way that is absolutely pointedly God-centered. Everything. Church, this Great Commission, we're confronted with the truth that we have no power to turn our children into thinking and being and living disciples of Jesus Christ. If we didn't have the power to save ourselves, we cannot save them. But here's what it does say though. It says this, but we do have great influence in pointing them to Jesus. That's what the Great Commission is all about, starting in the home. This means, parents, I applaud you for making the church, the gathering, a priority on your family schedule. Jesus died for the church. The church is a big deal. It's something we... Matter of fact, when they're here, we only get them for maybe a couple hours a week. And so when they're here, we want to come alongside you as parents and partner with you to point them to Jesus Christ. The same thing hopefully you're doing in your home every day of the week. Our passage here in the Great Commission makes it clear that Jesus would not ever call you going back to the very beginning now to verse 18. He, I love how Jesus never calls us to something that he is not in charge of. I love how he says it beginning with the Great Commission when he says this in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We're going to see in a weeks or months in the Sermon on the Mount. When we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus ends that with this, the, thing, the, the thinking of authority. By the way, it's the, really one of the themes of Matthew, other than Jesus is king. It's his authority. And Jesus, and it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? For was, he was teaching them as one who had authority. And now we get to the end of Matthew in Matthew 28, before he goes back up into heaven. And what does it say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's never a moment, church, there's never a moment, parent, in any location where you're in a situation with one of your kids where you are not under the wise and the careful and the powerful control of the one who sent you into it. That's comforting to me. There were moments like that in my parenting journey where if I, if I wouldn't have known God was in charge, I'd have thought there's no hope here. No hope. No hope. Let that, think about that truth, church. The King Jesus has you under his, he's got you. He's in control. He has authority. Even when it appears you have none, he does. Your success as a parent doesn't rest on your shoulders. It didn't rest on my shoulders. It rested on the shoulders of the creator of the universe. That's great news. So as I thought about this truth that all authority has been given to Jesus when it comes to our parenting, I thought about this. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Matthew 19. I love this moment where Jesus has the kids come to him. And what I love about it is because, again, these disciples who he was training were totally not wanting these kids around. Because if you know about the first century, they, they really were to be seen and not heard. They, period. They didn't really have much use, even though they had been given from commandments to bring them up to know him and to love him. And here's what it says in Matthew 19. It says, then children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. 
Basically saying, get away from here. Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. That term placing hands on them literally means he blessed them. He put his prayer of blessing over these little ones that were coming to him, that were surrounding him. And I don't know what it looked like, but I wonder. I love how God allows us to imagine. We don't know what he prayed over them. It doesn't say what he prayed over them. It doesn't matter what he necessarily prayed over them. I know it was a prayer of Jesus over them. But here's what I do wonder. I wonder if he prayed the same prayer he gave the nation of Israel in Numbers chapter six when he said this over them. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. As I thought about that, church, we ought to be praying that for our kids. On you, us as a church, may he find favor on us. May his peace be upon us. So be encouraged, parents. Jesus has the authority to bless your children just as he blessed the Jewish children. And then I love at the very end, he says this in his great commission. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The father who sends you to extend his arms of fathering grace to your kids is the same God who goes with you. Um, he never sits idly by. He's always at work, even in those moments. And if you're a parent, in those moments of frustration and you are about to lose your mind, he's with you. He goes with you. Um, this means that every moment when you're parenting, you are being parented. In every moment you feel like you lack grace, he has grace for you. In every moment, where you think you've been forgotten, he never turns his back on you. In every moment, you think he might be, you, you might be turning your back on him, he never turns his back on you. In those moments where you're angry and frustrated, he never gets angry and frustrated and refuses to be with you. See, I believe, I believe, we, have, I believe we have a savior who is tenderly, patiently, faithfully, and eternally with you based on what Jesus just said. Because he said, I am with you always. Always, not sometimes, not in the good moments, in every moment. I believe the Great Commission summarizes to us and reminds us of that question we asked earlier. What is the primary mission that God gives parents? I believe it's the Great Commission. It's not Deuteronomy 6. It's not Ephesians 6. I believe it's the great commission. It's the call to every follower of Jesus Christ starting in the home. And I'll read it again. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so I want to leave you with this, parents. If you're a parent in this room, there's more I could say on this. But I would, I would ask yourself, how can we live out this great commission through our parenting? There's a few things I thought some takeaways. One, be patiently committed to the process. I love in Mark 4, it talks about the man who goes out and throws seed on the ground. And he rises up day and night to see if it's giving any fruit. And at the end of the day, eventually it produces fruit. Here's the thing, parents. There's going to be some years where you're thinking, man, what a great year it was with the kids. Another year, ugh, as a struggle bus. Be faithful. Be committed. Don't give up. I believe one of Satan's greatest strategies is to give up. 
What's it worth? What's, what's it worth? Just cave to the pressures of this culture. Give in to what their, their friends are doing. To what your friends might be doing. I would say stay in the game. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Just like the farmer every year throws the seed out. Some years he has a banner crop. Some years not a banner crop. But he keeps throwing the seed out every year. Secondly, point your kids to Jesus every day. That Deuteronomy 6 when they walk along the way, when they sit in your house, when they go to bed at night, when they rise up in the morning. Whether you're disciplining your child, correcting your child, whatever it looks like in those moments, use them as opportunities to show the grace and love of God. Point them. I would say even parents, even when you fail, you should be, I tell parents this all the time, we should be the chief repenter of our homes. Show them what repentance looks like. That yes, you correct them when they fail, but show them what it looks like when you fail and admit it. Why? Because one day they're going to leave and they're going to say, my mom and dad showed me what true forgiveness looked like, what true repentance looked like, even when they mess it up. Even in our ugly moments, point them to Jesus. Three, humbly accept your limits. Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me, Jesus, we can do nothing. You must resist the temptation that by the volume of your voice or the strength of your words. And I, 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 when I wrote this, I'm going to you, this message preached to me just, you know, and my, my kids are all gone now. There were times where I thought if I raised my voice louder, if I stare down them even harder, they're going to get more right with God. Wrong. <laughs> I'm glad that God, even in those moments, extended grace to Todd Slegel as a dad. I'm glad it wasn't, again, dependent upon me. So thankful for his mercy and his kindness, just as he is to you. Humbly accept your limits. Just realize you can, only God can change the heart of your child. Fourthly, the Bible is your primary tool in shaping their worldview. It's not their school. It's not their friends. It's the word of God. So parents, I, I hope when those moments come up in your kids' lives, especially as they begin to get older and you're wondering what to do in certain situations, I pray that one of your first responses is to turn to see what the word of God says. Even when it's not popular. Because I promise you, if you're going to be different, if you're going to have the great commission, it won't be popular at times. It won't be. Sometimes you won't be a friend. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be complete. So that your child be made complete. Fifthly, remind your heart each morning to rest in the promise that Jesus is always with you. I love how Paul tells the church at Philippi, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, make our request that be known to God and he will give you that peace that passes all understanding. I believe one of the greatest threats to our family, to our church, to, Christian, to, our, to our walk as a follower of Christ is worry, anxiousness. It's more natural than trust. That's why God talks about it so often, trust me. Don't worry 
if some other kid is doing better than your kid. Don't worry if it looks like another parent seems like they have it all together. By the way, you don't see what's behind their door sometimes either. It's okay. God's got it. So as we leave today, I would encourage you with these two takeaways, not only those takeaways, but some assignments this week at home. And whether you're a parent or not, maybe a grandparent, maybe an uncle, an aunt, maybe none of those things, I would do this. Share with your children or share with someone your salvation story. And if any of your kids in the home have trusted Christ as their savior, have them share their story. When's the last time you, mom or dad, shared your story of coming to Jesus Christ? What did your life look like before you knew Jesus? Tell them. Well, I have told them. Maybe it's been a while. Tell them again. And then secondly, I would do this. Be intentional at home this year in making disciples of Jesus Christ by reading God's word together and using other gospel-driven resources. And tomorrow in the e-news, um, uh, an e-news is going to go out geared toward parents. Um, I had a mom here um, recently asked me here a couple weeks ago, actually, hey, Pastor Todd, do you, uh, I, we give away resources at a family dedication meeting I do every, every four months. And there's a bunch of resources I love to give away. She goes, do you, have, do you have a list of those that you recommend? And so as I thought about this message, tomorrow, a list of all those resources that I strongly endorse and recommend to help you in pointing your kids to Jesus. Some of them are kids' Bibles that I wish my girls would have had when they were young. Other great resources to help disciple them and grow them. But it takes intentionality. Even when you have bad weeks, get back into it the next week. Don't give up. And so church, let's be a church that lives out the Great Commission starting in our homes. Because if we do that, then we can take it to our neighborhoods and our city and to the uttermost parts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you to be a part of a church that believes in the Great Commission, that we want to make disciples. We want to see them baptized. We want to teach them to obey. And we want to reach the uttermost parts. We want to take it everywhere. But God, I pray we would begin in the home. I pray that we wouldn't be, we wouldn't lose that focus that God, you have given blessed many in this room with that gift. Let's not lose that opportunity. And, and God, even future children have yet to be born, children yet to be adopted. We pray for those children who've not even heard the word of God yet. Our prayer is that we will stay faithful so that when they do arrive, we will be faithful to the gospel then as we are now. So God, we ask your favor on this church in 2023 and beyond. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.